They say that getting in shape is hard, but no one told you about the struggle. It's time for you to get healthy, but business and family make life complicated. Discover all the high-performance secrets that founders and busy entrepreneurs use to ensure they stay fit and lean, no matter how busy they get. This podcast is a reminder to use those secrets, which make getting in shape easy and stress-free, while doing it in a way that fits your busy lifestyle. And ultimately, this will make you a better performer at work and home. You're listening to The High Performance Founder with your host, Dan Goh. What's up, my ninja? And welcome to the podcast. Today, I have none other than my friend and uh, mentor, Zuby. And Zuby is a British rapper, influencer, and podcaster. He received media attention after posting a video of himself on Twitter, identifying as a woman breaking the British world, British women's world deadlift record. And since then, he's grown incredibly. He has over 800,000 Twitter followers, 340,000 Instagram followers. He has over 100,000 subscribers on YouTube. He influences a lot of people across the world, and he's had an impact on me. He's been a friend as well as a mentor. And in this podcast, we talk about... Uh, some things that Zuby hasn't really talked about on podcasts before because I really want to get into the mind of Zuby. So one thing that uh, you'll see is uh, the story of how he went from a literal unknown to becoming this guy who actually influences millions of people across the planet. We also talk about what his parents thought when uh, he started to consider to go rapping. And also, uh, we did have a very poignant moment at the near the end of the podcast where he talked about uh, what has uh, changed in his mind over the past two years. And uh, we did get a little bit uh, dark on that one, but we don't, we, we definitely ended up on a positive note. So without further ado, please welcome Zuby to the podcast. All right. What is up and welcome to the podcast. I have my friend and mentor over here. His name is Zubi Olesebuka Uduzu, better known by a stage name Zubi. He's a British rapper, influencer, and podcaster. Uh, he's received media attention after posting a video of himself on Twitter, performing a deadlift of 525 pounds, which is actually no, no small feat for a man or a woman. And he, <laughs> he did it with a statement saying that uh, he had broken the British women's deadlift record while identifying as a woman. And since then, he has grown significantly. He he has close to 800,000 Twitter followers, which is mind-boggling, uh, 340,000 Instagram followers, 117,000 subscribers on YouTube. He influences millions, if not billions, of people across the world with his words and his music. Uh, and yes, he's had a very tremendous impact on me as well. I would not be doing what I'm doing right now if it weren't for the mentorship, the friendship, and the support of Zuby. So without further ado, please welcome Zuby to the podcast. Zuby, thanks for coming on, brother. I appreciate it. Yo, what's up, Dan? Thank you for the introduction, man. I, I appreciate that. It's also the first time I've had someone attempt to pronounce my pronounce my full oh. name uh, in an introduction. You you were you were you were close. It was okay. a it was a decent effort. Okay. What is it what is the the true pronunciation? Okay. 
Yeah, that's why I cut it down to Zuby. Okay. I thought it was, I thought we just <laughs> kept the end silent. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, no, it's all good, man. It's all good. It's a tricky I'm gonna, one. I'm going to practice that one maybe for podcast number two. All right. Okay. Okay. So, I actually want to start this off by saying this is one of the, the most favorite podcast research uh, projects that I've done because the entire time or half the time I've been listening to your hip hop music and actually listen to your music while I work out because one of the things I love about it is the fact that uh, you don't curse. Uh, it's actually pretty damn positive, very opinionated, uh, and I love the flow. Uh, so I'm going to start Thanks, off man. with uh, with a lyric that of yours that I really just uh, I really thought was super cool and is off the song "Okay, Dude." And uh, here's the lyric: So I'm working hard to make a milli baby. Flow is never wheezy. Couple hundred thousand fans. It all started with a CD. Used to hustle on the street, and now they see me on TV, going viral like Corona. So they try to quarantine me. Now. <laughs> <laughs> this is dope. I, I, okay, so number one, Thanks, I want to ask you, what was the experience starting your career selling your CDs out of the trunk of your car? Yeah, sure thing, man. So I studied computer science at Oxford University. Um, I actually fell in love with hip hop many years prior when I was in boarding school in the UK. So during from the age of 11 up until the age of 20, I was back and forth between the UK and Saudi Arabia. My family was living in Saudi Arabia. That was the home base. And I was in boarding school and then in university in the UK. I became a hip hop fan when I was 12 or 13 years old. And then when I got to university, I started rapping just for fun. I started doing it as a hobby to begin with, made a couple of tracks, sent them out to my friends, to my family and got really positive feedback. And then about 10 months into when I started, I put together my first album, which was called Commercial Underground. It was uh, an independent release, just like all my releases have been independent so far. And initially, I mean, this is this is going back to the MySpace days, so people need to remember, this is 2006. This is before Spotify. This is before Apple Music. This is when iTunes was very new. This is when YouTube was just starting. This is when the biggest social media network in the world was MySpace. And I had about 28,000 uh, friends on MySpace. I remember I had a pretty big MySpace following. So initially I thought I was going to get my music out there. I was like, Hey, I've got 28,000 people following me on the internet. If like 10% of them buy it, I'm going to, I'm going to sell all these albums. And then I quickly learned that, um, you know, the conversion rates are not, are not quite, quite <laughs> that high. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, when I put it, when I put out my first album, I actually made just 50 copies to begin with. I made 50 CDs. I made it look proper. I did a, did a little photo shoot. One of my friends took the photo for my first album, got someone to do a little bit of graphic design because I wanted it to look like a CD you could see in a store. And my, my CD actually ended up being in a few stores. But first of all, I just made 50 copies. I made 50 copies. And in the first week, I sold all of them. I sold them to, first of all, to, you know, my, my friends and my family members and to, you know, people in my university and stuff like that. And then I took the money from those 50 and I went back and I made either a hundred or 200. Once I'd sold those, I did my first run of a thousand. Now, once I had a, you know, <laughs> boxes and boxes of, of, of CDs sitting around in my, in my dorm room, I, and I'd exhausted my inner circle it was like, okay, how do I, how do I, how do I shift the rest of these? Um, I would have been about 19 years old at this time. 
And I bought CDs from people on the street before. Um, when I was, when I traveled to London or go to different cities, sometimes I'd bump into primarily rappers, independent rappers who would sell their CDs on the streets. So I was like, you know what, let me give this a shot. So I went out into, um, Corn Market Street, it's called. It's a, the main pedestrianized high street in the city of Oxford in the UK. And I went out there with a backpack. I think I took, uh, 10 or 15 CDs my, my first time. And I think it took me about 40 minutes before I actually approached anybody. Mm. So I'm just standing there with my backpack on, you know, looking at people rushing around up and down the street doing their shopping. And I'm like, holy crap, I need to, uh, I, I need to talk, I need to talk to people. Like, how do I do this? And then, um, I, you know, I made my, made my first couple approaches. And, um, I think the very first person I ever spoke to stopped actually. I, th- I think the first person stopped, which is, which is good because I think it gave me the, uh, you know, gave me a little bit of encouragement. And, you know, I think the third or fourth person I spoke to bought, bought an album. They bought, they bought the album for five pounds. Um, I guess that's around $7, $8 US. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. I, I, I just sold a CD. If I can sell one, I can sell two. And, uh, you know, over the course of a few hours, I, I emptied out my bag and I went back very happy. Like, Hey, I just, I just sold 15 CDs uh, to complete strangers. And then the the summer, that summer, I uh, I spent most of the summer in London. And I start no, actually, no, I wasn't in London. I was staying nearby London, about about 40 minutes out. And I would and I started going into central London to promote and sell my music. Anyone who knows London, if you know the sort of Leicester Square, Piccadilly Circus area, I used to go there. And again, you know, I went out with, uh, I think, you know, again, 15 or 20 CDs to start. And, you know, London is even busier. London's way busier than Oxford is. You've got tourists from all over the world. You've got the Londoners. Yeah. It's a crazy busy, so much stuff happening. So again, I'm like, oh my gosh, what, what am I doing here? Um, like I'm standing there, you know, waiting for like 20 minutes <laughs> or something before I approach anyone because it just feels so intimidating. Um, and then, you know, I, I got into the swing of it and I started talking. And, you know, one, once I'd approached a few people, I got, I got into the, I got into the mood. I started to enjoy it. Yeah, sure. Some people ignored me. Some people were not interested. Some people said no. Some people said yes, totally fine. But I was like, you know what? I can, I, I can, I can do this. Um, and I did it and boom, I sold all 20 CDs. I went back the following day. I brought 25 out. Bang. I sold them all. <laughs> I came back the next day, I brought 30 out. And I spent that summer, I, I spent several weeks of that summer. This would have been, let me say, summer either 2006 or 2007, I think 2006. And that is how I started selling CDs by by the hundreds to begin with. Not not 100 every single day, but you know, on a, on a good day, I was moving 30 to 40 CDs on a good day. And so that was really what sort of sparked that idea, which was what my main hustle became for the next several years. So I graduated university in 2007. I took a year out and I did my music full time for one year. So before I graduated, I already had a job offer, but I told the company, give me one year. I want to take a year out, do my music full time for one year, for one year. You know, I graduated early too. I was only 20 years old when I graduated. So there wasn't this sort of rush that I need to go into the corporate world. So 
in 2008, I released my second album. It was called The Unknown Celebrity. So I was then going out there with, with my two CDs and I started traveling all over the UK. I started getting, you know, jumping on trains and going to this city and going to that city and just doing this, repeating this in different cities, you know, going out there wherever the pedestrianized high street was and talking to strangers all day long from, you know, 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. whenever the sun would go down. And I, you know, I'd have good days, I'd have bad days, I'd have amazing days, I'd have terrible days, you know, positive encounters, negative encounters. But over the course of time, I, you know, I mean, oh, up, up until this point, I've, I've probably, you know, spoken to over half a million people. Yeah. And from that point, um, you know, to kind of give, give more of the full story in, in a... Late 2008, I, I moved to London and I started working in the corporate world. I actually used to be a management consultant. So I worked with a big consultancy firm. And from 2008 to 2011, I was doing my music on the side. In uh, 2010, I released an EP called How I Feel. So that was my third release. And I was juggling these two careers at, at once. I was doing gigs here and there. And I was also, you know, trying to proceed up this corporate ladder. And then in early 2011, due to a host of reasons, you know, I made a decision by that, by the end of that year, I wanted to be a full-time, full-time rapper. So I, I made that decision. And in September, 2011, I handed in my notice and I left my job and I went out into the big, scary world to become a full-time independent musician which some people thought was crazy but to me it completely made sense and i was certain i would achieve some level of success didn't know what it would look like how long it would take what direction i'd go but i was like all right i know how to do this so i went out i bought my van which is now known as the zuby tank it's a van volkswagen transporter i got it wrapped in my color of purple i put my logo on it and this is when the true hustle season began. So from 2011 all the way to, man, well, hustle, hustle, super hustle season really goes from 2011 to 2018. But from 2011 to 2014, I was primarily just doing the street hustle. I was traveling all over the UK, all different cities, north, south, east, west, all the way up to Scotland, go, going to Wales. I went to the Isle of Wight. I went to the East, east Anglia. I was going all over the country. I've been in every town, every city, talking to thousands and thousands and thousands of people and selling thousands and thousands of albums. Um, in 2014, I upgraded the hustle and I started doing pop-up shops with my friend Shouda, who's also an independent rapper from London. And um, it was called the Blue and Purple Store. And we started uh, doing pop-up shops. You know those little kiosks you mm -hmm. get in when you're in shopping malls. So we had we had one of those. So we'd sell our, our music, our merchandise, um, t-shirts, hats, hoodies, wristbands, all that stuff. So instead of being out there on the street, um, which we'd done for many years in all sorts of weather, we we all know UK weather is not great. So we'd be out there in the snow, in the rain, in the sun, all kinds of weather. And then finally, you know, we upgraded and moved indoors. And from 2014 to 2018, um, once a month, we would do the pop-up shop in a different city. So from 2014 to 2018, that was my primary source of income. It was selling the music, selling the merchandise like that. Holy. And then um, 2019, so this leads up to early 2019, 
which is where I really reached this turning point. Um, the in the in the introduction, you you mentioned this uh, viral tweet I had, which blew up, and that was posted on February twenty sixth, twenty nineteen. I was actually at my pop up shop when I posted that. I was it was early. It was morning at the pop up shop. The mall had just opened. I was standing there. I was bored. You know, nine a.m. <laughs> you're not getting any customers at nine a.m. And I was scrolling through my Twitter feed. And I came across a couple of silly stories and I thought, huh, I wonder what the British women's deadlift record is. And I just Google searched it. And then I had this video of my phone of me from one of my training sessions doing a 230 kilo deadlift. And I just, like I do with my other tweets, I just fired it off the hip. I was just like, hey, you know, I keep hearing about how biological men have no strength advantage over women. Watch me destroy the British women's deadlift record without trying. P.S. Identified as a woman whilst lifting the weight. Don't be a bigot. I just put out, I just put that out there not thinking much of it. Next thing I know, Dan, I'm looking at my phone and I don't know what I've done, but I know I've done something <laughs> because this video has reached 10,000 views in 10 minutes and it's starting to get retweeted all over the world. You have to remember when I posted that, I had 18,000 followers on Twitter at the time. So, you know, and it had taken me 10 years. <laughs> it had taken me 10 years to reach that 18,000. And then suddenly for something that has nothing to do with my music, nothing to do with the main work I've been doing, all of a sudden, this video is going crazy. Within a couple hours, it's hit 100,000 views. I go to bed that night, 300,000. I wake up in the morning, half a million. It keeps going. The next few days, I, I, it, it's just, this thing is just, it takes on this life of its own. Like, I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm supposed to be working at my shop and I'm all distracted, like on the internet, like what is, what's, what's going on here, right? Like, I don't even know what to do at this point. And the video just went further and further. You know, it gets shared by this person and that person. And then so many people in the USA, it starts going viral in the USA. And then a week or two later, you know, Joe, Joe Rogan, I wake up one morning and everyone's like, yo, you know, Joe Rogan just mentioned you on his podcast, Joe Rogan. I was like, what, what, are, you, what are you guys talking about? Like, what's going on? And then I check out his latest episode and he's, he, he's watching the video. <laughs> he's watching the video on his, podca Jamie, on his podcast <laughs> and, and he shouts me up. I go on Twitter. He sent me a DM and he's like, brother, that's the funniest thing I've seen all year. Like, you know, I love what you're doing, whatever. And I'm just like, yo, this is crazy. And I just started getting all these people reaching out to me. And then in late 2019, I did, um, I, I got, I got the opportunity to go out to the USA. And um, that's when I had my first appearance on Joe Rogan, um, did a big interview with uh, Ben Shapiro, Tucker Carlson, Candace Owens, like all these different media figures in the US and also in the UK as well. And so 2019 is the year where everything really just started to catch on fire in terms of people knowing the name Zuby and having some familiarity with with what I'm doing. So I don't know if I've ever shared that full story on like a podcast before, but that's a timeline from 2006 to 2019, uh, that 13-year period. That's how, that's, that's how that all played out. Um, and then obviously from then up until now, that's been a whole different story. Yeah, because when people look at your Twitter, they just think of Zuby, the Twitter guy. Right. Uh, that's like the first thing they think about. And then they're like, okay, well, you know, you just lucked out or whatever. But we know from Twitter that there is no such thing as luck. And then I do think that the hustle that you put in by talking to hundreds of thousands of people before all this stuff even happened, that actually sets you up 
to mm -hmm. continue on the momentum that you got from that particular tweet. Because most people, when they see a tweet like that or they put out a tweet like that, they just stop, right? It's not in their yeah. <laughs> mentality. But uh, but for you, that was actually like a, like a launching phase for you out of all the work mm -hmm. that you've it, done. Now, sorry, go yeah. ahead. No, it, it, it was. And, and, you know, I think th there's two interesting points on that. I think the first is that I was able to hold people's attention because there was more to me than that one single mm -hmm. tweet, right? People were then able to go and see, oh, you know, he's, uh, oh, this, okay, he's cool. He's got music. And I'd started my podcast by then. Um, you know, I was doing some type of just general social commentary in the way that I do it now. So people came through that video. A lot of people discovered me through that, but then they stuck around because they were like, oh, wait, okay, this, this isn't just a one-off funny tweet. This person is actually very interesting. And then I was able to to snowball that into something bigger. The second part of it that's funny is um, I think the tweet itself and the video is actually quite a good metaphor because it takes a long time to be able to lift that weight. Mm -hmm. So some people might just see it and be like, oh, that's just one tweet. That's a nine second video. Anyone could have done that. And I'm like, okay, yeah, you lift that weight. You, you post that video right? <laughs> How many years go into it? So you see the the tip of the iceberg. And for someone who isn't aware of this whole story, it can just look like, oh, wow, you know, someone, you know, this guy just walked up and did that thing. But I think it's actually quite an, an interesting metaphor of how people kind of see that surface level, but they don't see all the work and all the time and all the years that went into making it possible. Holy crap, man. That dude, I've never heard that story before from I've, I've, from all the research I've done, I've never heard that story before. And you're totally mm. right in the sense that a lot of people see the results, but they don't necessarily see the hours of work that get put into it. And number one, like, dude, you talk to like 100,000 people or more than 100,000 people. That is like just an eradication of fear yeah. of public speaking already. Just talking to that yeah. many people. I'd say about half a million. Oh my God. If I were to estimate. Yeah. I mean, I sold over 30,000 albums hand to hand. Yeah. So to sell 30,000 albums, yeah, you're talking to somewhere between 300,000 and 500,000 people. Holy crap. Um, I do want to take us a little bit back because I've heard about this story on Wikipedia. Uh, and I want to just uh, see what your feelings were around this because I feel like it's been, it's actually a pretty important part of your story, which is, you know, back in, I believe it was 2008, you know, you're misidentified and you're arrested at gunpoint mm -hmm. in Burmouth at the railway station and you had people who are basically cops all over you, guns on you. Uh, was, was that a particular turning point in your life at all? Or what have, what exactly have you learned from being in a situation like that? Uh, cause when I think about mm. it, it's like, you know, I can't even imagine that shit happening to me. Yeah, it was wild, man. Um, I'd actually just been out promoting my music in um, a city where I used to live, which is called Southampton, which is about, 30, 40 miles from Bournemouth, where I was living at the time. And um, I, I I got a train back, got a train back home. And, um, you know, I had my backpack on that I had my, my flyers and, you know, my CDs and stuff in. And I came, I came out the train and um, I saw one of my friends and said, hey to him. And I then, you know, hear, hear police shouting, right? You have to remember in, in the UK, the normal police are not armed. So they have specialist firearm units. So if there's like a terroristic threat or like a you know a firearm threat or something, you'll see like the armed police going around with their with their carbines. 
Um, and you know, they'll normally have the dogs and stuff with them. And so I noticed, you know, a bunch of police at the station and then, you know, I, I, so I'm looking up seeing, Oh, you know, what's, what's going on? Like there's some commotion. And then I get forcefully pushed backwards by one of the police officers. And I look up and I've got like one, two, three, four, five guns just trained on me. Wow. Right. And I'm like, Whoa, like what is going, you know, and they're shouting, you know, get down on the floor, get down on the floor, put your hands up. So I, you know, I just, I just comply. I have no idea what's going on. Right. Like I've literally just stepped off the train about seven seconds earlier. Um, next thing I know, I've got five guns on me, police officers yelling at me to get on the ground. So I just, I just comply. Right. I just, I just comply. I have no idea what's going on. It doesn't even feel real. It feels very surreal because none of this makes any sense. And, um, you know, they approach me, they, they, they handcuff me, uh, tell me I'm under arrest for a section one firearm incident, which doesn't mean anything to me. Uh, you know, they take me off to take me off to this room and they, they start, you know, asking me all these questions and interrogating me. And I have no idea, no idea what is, what is going on. Right. Like just, it's, it, it's, this is just, it was one of the weirdest, probably the weirdest thing I've ever experienced. Cause I, I, I have no idea what's going on. They're talking about, um, some firearm incident that happened in another city, which is called Basingstoke. I hadn't even been to that city that day. And needless to say, I have not uh, accosted anybody with a, with a handgun. Um, and so they're saying all this stuff. And I'm very confused. Like, what, what was going through my mind was I was very confused and I had no idea what they were talking about. At the same time, I was surprisingly calm because I knew I hadn't done anything, mm -hmm. right? So... I didn't know what they, who they thought I was and what they thought I'd done, but I knew I, I had, I've got a completely innocent conscience, right? It's like, I haven't done anything. So I don't know how long this is going to take or whatever, but I don't really need to worry about anything because I've got, I've got nothing to hide here. Right. Um, and you know, they're asking me all these questions. I'm telling them, I'm like, you know, I've been in Southampton all day. I haven't even been to Basingstoke today. You can look at my train ticket. My train ticket is from Southampton to Bournemouth. I haven't been to Basingstoke. I don't know what you guys are talking about. I don't know who you think I am. This is who I am. I'm Zuby. Um, I graduated from Oxford University last year. I, I got a degree in computer science. I'm an independent rapper. I've been in Southampton promoting my music. So I'm just, I'm just telling them about myself, right? And I can even see in some of them, I think like they're kind of like, oh, crap, I think we got the right, right? Like, like they're like, I don't think this is the right guy. And then, uh, but I think once they start the arrest procedure, they kind of, they kind of have to go through with it until you get to the station. So, you know, I get put into a cop car, you know, I'm sitting in the cop car with the, with these two police officers and, you know, I'm, I'm still, I'm literally sitting there in handcuffs, right? Um, like, like I'm some kind of a, some kind of crime Lord or something. And, um, you know, they're still asking me questions and I can see at this point that the guys in the car, the guys in the car are really like doubting that I'm the right person. Cause they're like, this does not, this person does not seem like the kind of, you, you, you know me, man. Like I'm a, <laughs> I'm a very polite, like calm <laughs> and I'm telling them like, yeah, you know, I, uh, I just got my degree from Oxford, you know, I'm doing this and that. They're like, this doesn't sound like the kind of dude who would chase someone around the city <laughs> with a firearm, you know? Um, and then I got to the station still in handcuffs and, uh, you know, I just gave him like a couple details that they asked for. And then I'm standing there for about eight, 10 minutes. And then they come out and they're like, we're so, so sorry. It was mistaken identity. We got the wrong person, da, da, da. And yeah, that was that. So it was a weird experience, man. Um, it, it was very strange. Um, and then, and then the, the aftermath was very weird as well because it, it, made, um, it made national news in the UK. Uh, 
So I was on the front cover of multiple newspapers the following day. Um, and there's police, there's, sorry, there's a meet, there's media vans outside the house and people keep ringing the phone and wanting to talk to me and interview me on this and that. And everyone's like, it, it was this like huge story, you know? Um, and it was weird because I also didn't, I, I didn't really want that attention. Like I didn't want to be the guy who's known for, you know, being arrested at gunpoint by accident by police. Um, some people, of course, were trying to spin it into a, some people were trying to, this, if you remember, this was also the time when like, there was a lot of talk about like terrorism and stuff. So some people were trying to spin it that, oh, they thought I was a terrorist or something, which actually didn't turn out to be the case. Uh, other people were, you know, of course, trying to play the racial angle and saying, ah, oh, you know, this is proof of, you know, the systemic racism in the police and, you know, this and that. And they kind of, some people kind of wanted me to play the whole like victim narrative and, you know, come out there on TV and condemn the police. But I was like, you know what? I don't even know what happened. Like, wait for the investigation. They're going to, they're, they're going to do an investigation. It's going to take a few months and let me not jump to 5 million conclusions and let me not be the mouthpiece of somebody who's got some agenda. Um, I, I just took it in my stride, man. I took it in my stride. It was weird. I kind of let the media hype pass over. I think I only did like two interviews or something. And I was like, yeah, I've, I've kind of said what I wanted to say. Um, I don't want to drag this thing out forever. Uh, if you want to talk, if you guys want to talk to me about my music, then let's talk about my music. But, you know, uh, this isn't what I want my, my whole story or my legacy to be kind of thing. This is just some freak accident that basically happened how do you how do you actually do that because you have this sense of calm that not mm. a lot of people have and you've actually held yourself back from turning yourself into a victim from using this mm. as a, even like a part of your story and knowing exactly like where you want to head you had a vision for where you want to go uh where does this like sense of purpose and calm come from it's a good question man um it's it's a tricky one to answer because I think it's hard for us to, I think it's hard for us to any of us to know exactly why we are the way we are. I think it's a combination of things. You know, some of it will just be like genetic, like my person, my personality type. I'm a very very low, ultra low neurotic mm -hmm. individual, which means I'm I'm far less sensitive to negative emotions like fear and anxiety and worry compared to and, and anger compared to most people. Um, I've got a very just evil keel, even keeled <laughs> temperament. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've been like that forever. You know, I asked my parents, I'm like, have I always been that way? And they're like, yeah, even, you know, even as a child, I wasn't, you know, apparently I was a pretty easy, as, as far, as far as babies and children go, I was a pretty easy one to deal with. Mm -hmm. Right. I was just kind of calm. Um, relatively. Yeah. <laughs> I think a baby can only be so are, calm. Are your parents like um, that at all? My dad very okay. much. Very, very much. Um, my mom more moderate, but my, my dad's all. I've ne I've never. I've probably seen my dad angry twice, mm. like noticeably, noticeably angry. Um, and I, I'm very similar like that. So I can be angry. Um, I can be worried. I can be concerned, or but I can also be super happy. But I kind of come across the same way regardless yeah. Like, yeah. Like, even if i'm not even if i'm not doing great like most people wouldn't necessarily notice because i don't like wear my heart on on my sleeve i'm not like i'm not that super emotional person i don't snap on people i don't yell yeah. i'm just always you know if you imagine like a sound wave you've got some people you know their frequencies are like 
you know, it's all like that with me. It's just kind of mm. like, just kind of slightly, it's just very, you know, slightly modulates. Um, so I think some of it is just my personality. Um, and then I think some of it as well is just how I have trained myself and my emotions. I mean, I was telling you about, dude, you know, go out there on the street and talk to 300,000 people, talk to 300,000 strangers and, and try to promote yourself to them and sell yourself to them. You, you will learn how to manage your emotions. You know, like <laughs> you, you, you'll, you'll learn because, because you'll have super highs. You'll have times where, you know, when I was out there on the street, I mean, I had some amazing moments. Like I had ones where, man, I had days, I had days where I'd approach one person and I'd empty my entire backpack off talking to one person, right? right? I, I bump into a group of tourists from like France or Germany or whatever, and they buy 30 CDs. Like this has happened, right? Like I've, I've, I've been in the city for half an hour and I need to leave because I've got nothing left to sell, right? And everyone wants to take a photo and everyone's like hype and they want you to sign all the albums. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> this is amazing. This is actually why I called my second album, The Unknown Celebrity, because like I'd, I'd switch between, you know, being totally anonymous and being the celebrity. Um, I still actually kind of experience that, that now to, to an even bigger degree because I'm at that weird level where like, Millions of people know who I am, but most people don't. Mm -hmm. So depending on where I am and what I'm doing, I can be like totally low-key and anonymous, or I can also step into places where it's like, holy crap, that's Zuby, like Zuby's here. And so it's I kind of experienced a lot of that. But then I also experienced, you know, just being standing around for hours and in, in the in the rain. <laughs> no one wants to stop. Nobody's buying anything. Uh, you know, people are saying mean things and you, you you can't really do anything you know what i mean you're just like man people kind of suck you know you get you, you get those moments as well so over the course of time and then with everything else i'm doing you know putting in my my grind in the gym you know all the all the ups and downs you go through in your life and all of that i just learned i guess someone could call it stoicism um i didn't sort of study study stoicism specifically but I just learned how to manage and regulate my emotions and, and not allow things to things and people to, to throw me off my game too much. Um, a, as you'll know as well, because you're, you know, you're growing very fast on, on social media, right? You know, hundreds and thousands of people, millions of people are, are, are seeing what you're putting out there and you get all kinds of people, right? You get, you get love, you get all kinds of love. You get super positive feedback. You get people telling you like, man, like you've changed my life. You've helped me to do this. You've helped me do that. Then you get people who are just, you know, complete haters, right? Like just hating, like you, acting as if you've, you've done something horrible to them. And they're, they're just saying really nasty, vicious stuff. And then you've got people who are just like trolls and just annoying. And you've got this and you've got that. And you have to be able to just kind of take it in your stride and deal with it. And, um, you know, th th that's just something I've learned over time. And I think the more popular you get, then the more successful you become. It's something that all, all that it does is it, it amplifies. Mm -hmm. It just continues to grow. So you have to be able to handle it. I have to uh, go outside and talk to 500,000 people now. And <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I I'm so glad I did it. Yeah. Honestly, I'm so glad I did that, yeah. Dan, because... I feel like I've had a series of lessons or like I've been through this multi-year course that almost nobody does. Mm -hmm. Like how many people, I, I've talked to more people than almost anybody. And like actually talking, not just like saying hi, like, you know, 
saying hi and like engage. So like the amount that I've just learned about how to communicate with people and body language and how to do this and how to do that, like not just in terms of hard sales, like yes, I'm, I'm good at sales because like I had to get good at sales, but you also just learn so much about human beings. You develop this type of sixth sense. When I was out on the street or even doing the pop-up shop, one thing people would always be ask me is, how do you know who to approach? Because to them, they wouldn't see a pattern, right? They'd see me approaching all these different th- And they're like, how can you approach that person and not that person? And it's like, you develop this sixth sense of like who is most likely to be open to it. It can be everything from how fast they're walking, who they're with, the expression on their face, the clothes they're wearing. It's it's not just like I'd approach people who look obviously like they're into hip hop music. It's just like you develop this type of intuition, or even if it's a group, there might be a group of five people, you know, two boys, three girls, and you know who to talk to. You can you quickly determine in like a split second, okay, who's the decision maker in this group? Mm-hmm. And and that's the person. So if you're interacting with a group and you're talking to a group, you there's a there's like a certain dynamic there's a there's a dance that goes on there because you have to get the you have to get the leader the influential person on your side you have to recognize who that is get them on side but you also can't give them all the attention you have to you have to address everybody make sure everybody in the group feels included because if you just talk to one person in a five person group the others are going to drift off and they'll be like come on man let's go mm-hmm. right so you have to you have to Introduce yourself to everybody, build a quick little bit of rapport with everybody in the group, keep everybody entertained and interested. And then once you've done all that, then you can even get into what you're actually trying to promote or what you're actually trying to sell. And you'll be much more, you'll be, you'll have a much higher chance of success. If, if it's a couple, you approach a couple differently, right? Because you don't want anybody to feel you know, disrespected, right? There's a man and a woman. I don't want the guy to think, oh, I'm trying to like move on his girl. Or like, you know, you don't, you don't want to, so it's like, there's so much, there's so much going on. You know, you've got old people, you've got, I'm talking to, you know, teenagers, right? Honestly, some people are like kids, right? Cause you get kids stopping, especially with the pop-up shop, you get like 11 and 12 year olds stopping by. Cause they just see all these hats and t-shirts. They're like, yo, what's this, right? They're there with all their friends. They might even be on scooters. They're there like eating popcorn and candy. And you've, you're talking to like these 10 and 11 year olds <laughs> and they've got like all this energy and whatever. And there's like a certain way to address them and then teenagers are different and then you get like older people and you get people in their 50s and their 60s and you know it's christmas time and they're looking for a hoodie for for their grand for their grandchild and the way you talk to a 65 year old <laughs> is not the same way you talk to a 16 year old so you just learn i learned so much man and those are lessons that i'm going to just have throughout my entire life when it comes to communicating with people because i think your the ability to communicate with people is through different forms, through through writing, through speaking, through listening, incredibly powerful. I feel like you should go on uh, a dating uh, podcast <laughs> and talk about approaching <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, and talk about social dynamics. And one of the things that mm. pops out to me is that is that you did reps, right? It was all reps mm-hmm. inside of the social dynamics and also reps inside of the gym. And I got this uh, question from a couple of uh, my clients because I told them that I was going to interview you and they kind of, they were excited. They were just like, okay, okay, okay can you ask Zuby this? Can you ask Zuby that? <laughs> so, so I got to ask you in regards to reps, what exactly does like your fitness regime look like? What exactly does your nutrition look like? And uh, I know that we're 
going a little bit uh, weird in a direction here, but but people want to know how exactly does Zuby work himself out, and uh, how exactly do you feed yourself? Yeah, sure thing. Um, it's changed a lot over the years. So I started out lifting when I was fifteen. I used to play rugby, so I got into the gym primarily because of that. I wanted to get in better shape and be stronger for to be a better rugby player. When I was 15, 16, I, I didn't really know what I was doing, right? I would just uh, read bodybuilding magazines mm. and try to try to copy what all these dudes on all this gear and stuff. I, I didn't know they were all on drugs. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I would, you know, try to copy, you know, these, uh, you know, two-hour arm yeah. blast workout or like, you know, just way too many sets, way too many reps. Um, I was eating way too much food. Uh, funny fact, uh, you know, I weighed more when I was 16 than I weigh now at 35. Wow. What, what's your weight right now? Right now, um, about 90 kilos. Okay. okay. Yeah. Um, I prefer being around 85, but around 90 kilos, 200 pounds wow. on the dot, something wow. like that. Um, but yeah, I, I got up to like 215 or something when I was 16. So, you know, I was a, I was a, I was a, I was a big dude and, uh, you know, I got, I got, I got strong. Like by the time I was, I mean, even, even at 16 or 16, 17, I was, I was pretty jacked. I wasn't lean, but like I was, I was a strong guy. And, um, you know, there were some of my friends who were really into it. So we, we were just copying the magazines, doing the whole kind of, you know, bulking and thinking that you need, if you didn't eat every two hours, you'd go catabolic and all that, <laughs> all, all, all that nonsense. And then, uh, you know, especially in my you know, late teens, early twenties, I, I started to learn, to learn a little bit more, but fast forward to now, um, I, I'm, I'm pretty, you know, I've, again, I, I've, I've been training for pretty much 20 years now. Um, so I've, you know, I, I tapped out the vast majority of my, my natural potential a long time ago, like, you know, 14, 15 years ago, I haven't really gotten that much bigger or that much stronger since my early twenties, which is fine. Um, so I primarily just, I don't go like, I, I'm, how do I put this, man? I go hard, but I also recognize it's like, you know, you've, you hit this point of like real diminishing returns where for me to get significantly stronger than I currently am would take like such a crazy level of effort and precision. And I'm not, it's not my career, right? I'm not, I'm not a, you know, I'm, I'm, I've already reached elite level lifts in, in certain things, right? Like I pro maybe, maybe over the next two years, I could, you know, get my deadlift up to like, 650 pounds or something, you know, hit his 650 PB, but it's like, what for, mm. you know, like, <laughs> what, 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 what for, cost right? Like, too, right? Yes. And, and on a what cost. And so I, I train about five times a week. Um, something, something like three days on it. I know I don't normally do more than three days lifting in a row, uh, two or three days in a row. Uh, so I train about five times a week. I try to hit everything twice a week. I primarily base my workouts around compound movements. So maybe 70%, 80% compound movements, and then 20, 30% isolation exercises. And um, I keep my lifting to, you know, 50 minutes, 50 to 60 minutes. I normally bookend cardio on each side. I'll do like 12 to 15 minutes cardio before, 12 to 15 minutes cardio after, you know, normally the elliptical, sometimes the treadmill or whatever else. And I just, I just focus on, on the, on the training. And I, I, I focus on building strength Dur during the main sort of growth phase. You know, I, I primarily focused on 
getting my strength up. Um, that that was really my main focus. So I, I trained more of a like a powerlifting style than bodybuilding mm-hmm. style. Although you know it's a it's a little bit of a hybrid. So that's why you know I like I've got I've got strong lifts because I've I've trained to be strong, not just to look good or to have a six pack or whatever. You know I've trained to be strong. So that that's really my focus. And in terms of diet. Um, it's, it's also thing is, is why I travel so much. Like I don't have a normal life. Like I don't, I don't live anywhere. (laughs) I'm not just like based in one place. Like I I travel, I'm going to all these different places and cities and time zones. So I, I do my best when I'm on the road to just, to maintain, to just do what I can, both in terms of training and in terms of eating. When I, when I'm settled in a place and I'm, I'm eating normally, you know, I typically try to have my diet around. You know, I mean, I've got I've got a pretty high caloric intake, about 3,200, 3,300 a day for maintenance. Yeah. So I, I've got a little bit of leeway in my diet more than, you know, people who are less active or we might. But I eat about 80% clean mm. and 20%, you know, kind of whatever goes if it fits your macros. Mm. I'm not really – I'm nowhere near as anal about my diet as people – would assume that I am um, during normal times. Like I, I just I eat. Like I, I don't I don't pig out. Um, I naturally am drawn to more natural and nutritious foods. So I wouldn't even like want to just sit there and eat tons of Doritos and donuts and pizzas and stuff. But you know, I I, I will eat pizza. I will eat burgers. I will eat. You know, as a, and it also depends on the one. Like not all pizzas are the mm-hmm. same. <laughs> <laughs> right, like a pizza can be very, very healthy and very nutritious, or it can be, you know, complete trash. But it, it depends on who's making it and what what's on it. So I'm not, um, yeah, I'm pretty flexible, dude. Yeah. I'm I'm pretty flexible as long as I hit certain things. The things that I really, you know, that matter to me are, you know, making sure I get about, you know, approximately the right amount of calories overall. Make sure I'm getting enough protein. Mm-hmm. Um you know, make sure I'm getting enough fruits, you know, fruit, fruits and vegetables and just natural and nutritious food. And then outside of that, it's pretty flexible. Like when, when, I, when I'm settled in one place for a while and I'm not switching time zones, then I'll typically do intermittent fasting. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been doing intermittent fasting, you know, on and off for about 14 years now, way before it became trendy. Um, and if I really want to tighten, tighten up, then, then I'll do that in a more focused way. But that, that's, it's, it's, it's not that interesting. Like I don't have some fancy, <laughs> I, I really don't have some type of fancy diet. Um, I eat two or three times a day and I just get enough protein. I get the right amount of calories. I train hard. I hit my 10,000 plus steps a day and I enjoy my life. And, um, it, it works well. If, if it's like, okay, it's time for me to cut and I want to drop 10 or 15 pounds, then I'll just simply track my calories. Um, but even if I'm dieting, I mean, I diet on 27, 2800, not even higher. You know, I think last time I cut, I cut on like 28, 2900 calories a day, which, which might sound that's, ridiculous. That's to some, some people's people. bulking diet but, right there. Is yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but but like you know that's a 400 400 500 calorie deficit for wow. me so I, I i can do that 
fine. And again, just keep training hard, make sure I get it in enough protein and it works for yeah. me. You know, it's worth saying that I, I have tried a lot of different things in the past. You know, when I was in university, I did try the keto thing and I felt terrible and I lost a lot of strength and I lost a lot of muscle. And I generally, I was eating, you know, I've tried dieting as, you know, I used to, again, because sometimes you try to follow what other people are doing and you realize actually this doesn't work, right? I mean, I'd seen something of some bodybuilder who was prepping for, you know, he was dieting on like 1800 to 2200 calories. And he actually was a similar body weight to me. And I, I try, dude, I felt awful. Like I, I was, I was way, I was in way too big a deficit, right? Like I was in a thousand, like a thousand calorie deficit is, was, was not sustainable for me. Then when I was in university, so I'm still studying, I'm cycling around all the time. I'm playing rugby and I'm eating like 2000 calories, like terrible. <laughs> <idea>. <laughs> like I felt, I felt awful. And I, I hadn't, I, I didn't know, like, I was like, am I, am I supposed to feel like this? Like, maybe this is just how you feel when you're cutting. And now in hindsight, I look back and I'm like, geez, man, I was really like, I, I was eating like a thousand calories too little. Yeah. Um, so no wonder I felt like crap. No wonder I had brain fog. No wonder my, my legs felt heavy. I remember I just go to the gym and like, everything felt heavy. Um, but yeah, now I, uh, much more moderated approach, much more sustainable. And, and I think that's, uh, why, I'm able to be so consistent because I don't kind of burn the candle at both ends. Mm. Um, there's times where, you know, you might have a reason you need to go, go a little bit harder, but I make sure that both in terms of my training and my diet, I can maintain consistently. Even if I'm traveling, even if I'm going to all these random cities, I'll still be in the gym at least. I'll still be training at least four times mm. a week. Um, my diet might not be ideal if I can't do any cooking and I have to eat out all the time or be getting Uber Eats, I'll still make at least decent choices. So, you know, it's not perfect, but it's good enough. Dude, I feel like that's the healthy way to go about it. Are you enjoying the show thus far? We go through so many resources and links with the podcast. It's tough to keep up. I get it. That's why Dan and the rest of the team put together the High Performance 7. It's a free online course that helps entrepreneurs get lean, build muscle, and increase energy in a way that fits their lifestyle. We go over things like how to burn fat like a 20-year-old, the lazy man's way to building muscle, the 10-minute Superman system, the lead domino that makes all other things easy, and so much more. The best part? As a valued listener of the show, you can access the High Performance 7 100% free of charge. That's right, for simply being awesome and tuning in. To get full access, all you have to do is go to www.highperformance7.com. It's high performance, all spelled out, and the number 7.com. And fill out the short form there for us to give you full access. Once again, www.highperformance7.com. Now, back to the show. So if you're hearing this right now, uh, he doesn't cut out seed oils. Uh, he doesn't cut out carbs. Uh, he doesn't go carnivore. Uh, he basically has an 80-20 approach to the way that he diets. And I feel like a lot of people 
they make themselves almost mentally unhealthy with the way that they they mm. treat their diets and the way that they treat their bodies. But at the same time, uh, you have to try everything as well. Uh, you tried the keto diet, you know that didn't do for you, and also you've been doing the intermittent fasting diet, you know that actually works for mm-hmm. you. So you know it's all about finding out what yeah. works. You know, so yeah, man. man I, look, I'm a, I I don't I don't um I'm not a big fan of when uh, I don't know. Diets or even workout routines get get too 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 tribal yeah. or you know political. Yeah. Even it's like if if something works for someone, I, I, I ultimately I want people to be healthy. If people are moving and they're exercising and they're getting in shape, dude, yeah, sure. Making making CrossFit jokes is fun and all that, <laughs> and we can make little you know we can make little jives at each other you know for whatever whatever activities people do. But dude, like if someone is doing CrossFit and it works for them and they're getting in shape. I'm not going to be like, yeah, bro, like you should, you shouldn't be doing CrossFit. It's like, no, look, man, if that's what works for you, if going to a Pilates class or doing your hot yoga, um, works for you. Like I've never been to a class in my life. I've been going to the gym for 20 years. I've never done a class. Um, for some people, all they do is classes and it's like, cool. If that's what works for you, that's good. Like I'm kind of a lone wolf. I generally like to just be in there headphones on and just doing my thing in my zone, but whatever works, if going with a friend works, if having a personal trainer works, I don't care if you're in there and you're training, you're lifting and you're exercising and your heart rate is going up. God bless you. Do what works for you. Same with your diet. Like I, I have no interest in doing a carnivore diet. I'm not interested in doing a plant-based mm-hmm. diet. Um, but if it works for you and you feel good and it fits your body and you're getting results, all the power to you. Keep doing yeah. it. Yeah. It, it it can get very actually it does get very tribal it becomes like a religion a little bit yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it really does when, when, yeah I I think we actually live in the age of a this is slightly off yeah. topic but I I think we actually might live in the most religious time periods ever <gasps> not the most godly not not the most godly time period but like I've the amount of religiosity and people's approach to all sorts of different things. Over the past few years, has been off the charts, and uh, that even goes into diet. Yeah. Like people don't realize that they're praying to someone, they're praying to something, you know, in the mm. way that they actually behave and act. So, you know, I don't know. Like, uh, definitely, we can go about and, and talk about that maybe in the in the next podcast. But I actually do want to get to uh, something that I've uh, been wanting to ask you uh, for a very long time um, because. During this time, I've been listening to your lyrics. I've been researching by just listening to your music. And I'll, I'll tell you right now, I'm going to work out after this. I'm going to be listening to your album while I'm working out. Because <laughs> literally, I, I think that you come out with, number one, you do things without swearing, which is not what a lot of rappers actually do. You actually have very thoughtful lyrics about things that are happening right now. Um, and you also have very motivational lyrics. Like, I mean, the song Perseverance to me is one mm. of those things that I just like want to put on repeat over and over and over. It just, it just sings to me. So I want to ask you, who were your musical influences growing up? Uh, so when you were, uh, you know, back in Oxford, you're listening to hip hop. Uh, who were those guys that uh, first got you on the path to, to making music? Yeah, sure thing, man. Um, LL Cool J, Nas, Jay-Z, Tech 9 Kanye West, Mob Deep, 50 Cent, funnily enough. Um, I like Gangstar. I'd say those are some of my top influences yeah. right there. You've got amazing taste. 
amazing taste. <laughs> Thank you. You're a, what was that? A 90s, 2000s uh, hip hop influence right there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Primarily. I yeah. want, okay, so here's a follow-up question. What do you feel is one of your favorite rap lyrics of all time? Wow. Ooh, that's a big mm. question, man. Um, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I should have, I feel like I should have like an obvious answer to this, but I, I'm struggling mm. with this one. A favorite rap lyric. Man, I, uh, I, I honestly don't All know. right. Let me ask you I, this, this follow-up question. Maybe we'll get back to that one. What is okay. your favorite Zuby lyric that you have ever created? Um, oh man, yeah, yeah. <laughs> these these questions are so hard. It's hard when you make a. It's hard when you make a lot of yeah, stuff. Yeah. So you know, you, there's like nine albums worth of things to select from. Yeah. One of my favorite lyrics. Okay, let, let me let me pick one of my favorite lyrics um you know there's different ones i like for different Mm -hmm. reasons yeah can you pop out just maybe a couple of them that that come to mind yeah Yeah. sure so um (laughs) in my first ever single called step into me which i released when i was in uh in university i had a lyric on there which just a lot of people it's it's the lyric where i always knew people would react in the song (laughs) whether i was performing it live or i was playing it to someone um, and that's, um, I don't think that I'm the best. I'm just in love with myself. So you could call it masturbation cause I'm feeling myself. Um, that was just like a funny lyric. <laughs> like people, people always like, like you could call it masturbation cause I'm feeling myself. Like people <sighs> always would that, that just like stuck out to <sighs> people. Um, so that was like my first bar where people were like, ah, yo, like that was <sighs> sick kind of thing. Um, so that, that, that's one of them. Wow. Um, I mean, I, I don't think it's actually like my best lyric. It's just one that was quite impactful for whatever reason maybe because people have quite poor it's kind of mind-blowing a little bit when you hear it it's like (laughs) oh like when you hear it's it's like one of those moments where you actually watch someone rapping you're like oh yeah it's it's one of those ones it's kind of like it's 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 what yeah it was one of those um let me me think of one that's like um a, a little bit more a little bit more profound um I like I really like the entire second verse of my song Ill. Um I, I really like that verse, second verse of Ill. Um I don't know if I can pick out one single line. And then um hmm. Man, I have so many lyrics. <laughs> so 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 many lyrics. Um I feel like coming at you or okay dude probably has those songs have a lyric in there somewhere that'll be that'll be one of my favorites um man i i'm 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 not doing well on this <laughs> i love I'm I love stumping Zuby. This, this is amazing. Oh, yeah. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I've 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 written so much yeah. man. I've written so many verses that like Picking out a lyric is it's tough. Yeah. It's really it, tough. I have I have I have favorite verses and songs, but like a, a bar is hard. Yeah, it's like it's like choosing your babies. Which one do you do you love the most? Kind of thing, you know. It's it's really hard. To yeah, choose. and you've got hundreds of babies. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. let me let me segue into this because I've heard you say this multiple times. You want fifty babies. Why? 
<laughs> okay, I don't, I, I don't think 50 is actually going to be realistic. I, I, I like, I like upping it whenever someone tells me that the world is overpopulated. Um, well, I, I think I'm, I'm from, I'm from a very big family. Um, I'm from a big family. I'm, you know, I'm one of, I'm one of five kids, and my dad is one of eleven. Uh, my mom's also got a big family, so I like the, I like the big family dynamic. It's, it's what I've grown up in, and I, I think actually there, there's so many advantages to it that people don't really actually think about, like having such a big and close network of people mm-hmm. of different generations is actually has a, has a lot. It's, a, it's an amazing support mechanism in many, in many, many ways. Um, but also I think that, uh, <laughs> I, I think that good people should have more kids, man. Agreed. You know, I, I think that people who are capable and smart and have their heads screwed on and have solid values and principles should reproduce more. Um, and I think the, the opposite might be happening. Yes, that's what I'm finding. <laughs> Smarter, I, I intelligent, all, people who have values yeah. are like, okay, well, you know, maybe I don't want to have that many kids. Yeah, they're, 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 they're too sensible, right? They're like, mm, no, just, you know, just two, just two. <laughs> and I'm like, man, like, you know, be fruitful and multiply. Maybe there's also a religious angle as well. You know, I, I am a Christian and I, I think that, you know, being, being fruitful and multiplying is, is, is one of, is one of God's commands. And it's something that, uh, if people can do, you know, should do. Um, so those are my thoughts. Of course, I say this as uh, someone, I don't have any children yet. Um, I have nine nieces and nephews, so, um, I'm kind of a, a, a super uncle. <laughs> But, um, you know, these, these, this might change, but I like the, I like the big family dynamic. And I generally think that the world needs, the world needs more, needs more good people in it. And I think that in general, you know, good parents raise good children who go on to affect the world in beautiful ways. Um, I I imagine, you know, my, my parents are both very accomplished people, but I, I imagine that if you ask them what they're most proud of without hesitation, they would say, it's their family. It's their, you know, their five children, nine grandchildren so far, um, who have all gone on to be successful in different fields and impact the world in different positive ways, carry on their name, leave a legacy. And I think that's a beautiful, that's a, that's a beautiful chain. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a wonderful thing. Like what, what we do here is, you know, I'm very proud of what I've accomplished. You know, we've talked about some of the things I've done. I'm very happy with what I've done and the legacy that I'm building. Um, but I'm like, okay, you know, like I'm gonna have to, like, the legacy's not done, right? Like, I gotta, I gotta do my do my biological role as well, and pass that on. And these things that I've learned, and uh, you know, the, the this mentality, and even my my genetics themselves, like, cool, that needs to that needs to pe- carry on. That that should carry on into the yeah. world, and um, that that's something that that that, that we should. What do. do you feel that time is for you? Ooh, damn that hard, man. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to get you a, a wife right right now, so be yeah, all right. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, you got you a know, lot of suitors uh, or suit two that's. Uh, I, I do. Um, <laughs> honestly, I do. Um, which is a whole other thing. Um, in in the next couple of years, mm-hmm. man. Next couple of years, like I mean, I'm, I'll be honest. I'm, I'm at the first. This is the first time in my life like maybe for the past like one year or two years where I've been like, you know what? I'm ready for that. Mm. Um, you know, five years ago, six years ago, it just like scared me. 
right? Like the whole concept just scared me, but now it like excites me. I'm like, yeah, you know, like I'm not doing that tomorrow, but I'm excited for that. And I know I can do that and I'm capable, whereas I didn't feel that way before. Some of it is also related to my chosen career path, I think. You know, I think um, had I just stayed in the corporate world, I, I think I would have reached that stage earlier because I would have had the financial security and just generally know what I'm doing in my life. But because I ventured off on this weird and crazy path, it's really only in the last few years that even from a financial and a career perspective that I felt like, okay, cool. Like I'm, I'm stable. I've reached like a level of success where I, you know, before I was just, just looking after me, mm -hmm. right? Like, okay, I can keep myself afloat, but not other people. Whereas now I'm like, okay, cool. Like I've, I've hit a certain level and as a, I think as a, that, that's, you know, a man or a woman, but I think certainly as a man, you, you want to feel confident and comfortable yeah. that you can provide and have reached a level in your, your career and your finances and all of that before you want to start being fruitful and multiplying. Yeah. So yeah, Great. Uh, thank God I've reached that stage yeah. now. So I, I, I felt that when I was like, uh, Unfortunately, I felt that, not unfortunately, but everything has its own timing. I felt that when I was sure. like maybe 36. And mm -hmm. uh, by the time I was 38, I got married. By the time I was 40, I had my first child. And uh, and yeah, it's just like you got to wait until you actually feel like you're set and you have a foundation. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, there's there's lots of there's lots of different ways to do these things. But I think, you know, as, as, as a man, especially, yeah. you know, it's like. And and it, so much of that also depends on like what you choose to do. Like if you pick a weird entrepreneurial creative path, then you're likely to not feel that level of confidence or even to objectively have it until later than if you choose something that's more career, you know, sorry, more, more, um, more traditional and kind of just has like a clear career progression where you can be like, okay, in three years, I'll be here. And then I'll be here and I'll be here. And you even know like roughly how much you'll be earning and all of that. Um, with me, it's very much been like, you know, I'll, I'll hear, I'll, I'll tell you another, another thing that's interesting. Uh, 2020, no, let me, 20, 2019, wait, no, 2020, I am right. 2020 was the first year that I earned more doing what I do now than I used to in my old mm. career. So from 2011 to 2020, I took a pay cut. Wow. So to give people so, some reference, um, you know, I was making more in, I was making more in 2011 at my corporate job than I was making in 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, and then 2020, the tables turned and those seeds really started to blossom and i've started to feel like hey okay i'm on this trajectory to success yeah. you remind me of the stone cutter just keeps on like mm. just keeps on banging that. just keeps on banging <laughs> what were your parents saying actually yeah. uh, man like because your dad you said he was super accomplished um yeah he's medical yeah so what was he saying and thinking to you or you know saying to you because you chose this path that was not traditional it was not professional mm -hmm. yeah god honestly god bless my parents man thank you um <laughs> especially because as as you know you know you're, you're asian i'm yes. african so uh you know asian <laughs> that's why i'm asking you are, like are known for you know like they talk mm -hmm. some, they talk some mm -hmm. smack you know 
Yeah. No, my, my parents and my family in general have been incredibly, incredibly supportive, incredibly supportive. Um, I, you know, and I mean, to the point that, you know, my, my mom went out for, for a, a walk yesterday and, you know, I'm, she came back and, you know, she was wearing, I saw she was wearing one of my, <laughs> one of my, uh, one of my hoodies. Like my parents wear my merch all the time. And every album I release, my mom buys the first copy and gets me to sign it. In fact, if you can see behind me, there's that uh, little cabinet yeah. there. It's going to be blurry. That's my second album right there. Um, all of my albums are in that cabinet. <laughs> That's every, all nine of my releases are in that cabinet. Um, so my parents, my parents are very, very supportive. They've been going, coming to my shows since I was in university. Wow. Uh, if there's a gig that they can get to, they'll come. Um, they've helped me with my merchandise. Here, I'll disclose another thing. When I'm traveling around the world and people are like, hey, who's shipping your merchandise? Sometimes my mom ships my merch for me mm. if I'm on the road. So all sorts of ways. My parents are, are extremely supportive and they have been and you know, em emotionally and they, they, they believe me, you know, um, sometimes they'd get frustrated because they wanted, I think it, it all took longer than they, than they thought it would. Right. And I, you know, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I'm still at the early stages of my career in terms of what I'm going to do in this world, but they, they, you know, I was very much prepared that, okay, this, this, this grind, this is going to take like 10 plus years. Like I was, I was mentally prepared for that. But I think other people think, especially in the world of music, because it can seem like people just kind of come out of nowhere and they blow up and, you know, all of this. And I was like, man, no, like I'm willing to put in 10, 15, 20 years to, to, to really grow this thing. Um, and so think, I think sometimes, you know, especially like, let's say, I don't know, 2016, 2017, after I'd been, I'd been at it for like five plus years full time. And they're like, man, like, why is it? Why is it so hard? Like, why, you know, and they'd hear other artists on the radio and they'd be like, man, Zuby's music, Zuby's music is better mm -hmm. than this. Like, why, why won't they play Zuby's music? You know, why won't they play our son's music and whatever? And I was like, yeah, you know, that's just, that's just kind of how the music industry is. Like, it's this and this, but don't worry, like the success will come. And, um, so, so they're, they're super proud of where they see things at now. Um, and when they see me, you know, giving speeches in the USA or, you know, appearing on these big podcasts or, you know, I was just on TV last night here in the UK and they love seeing that. They love telling their friends and say, ah, you know, that's, my, that's our son, you know, he's, he's there on TV, you know, he's doing this, he's doing that. And so, and, and so that's, that's nice, man. It's nice. And given how hard it is to do something like what I do and how weird and different and unique it is, it's really been a blessing for me to not have to also fight my family mm -hmm. on yeah. this, right? Like it's enough having to like go to war with the world every day in some way mm -hmm. <laughs> and like, you know, have all this, you know, ups and downs and criticism and difficulties, but you know, to have, to be, to be having to fight your family on top of that, that, that would suck. Um, so I'm grateful that they support me. My brothers support me. My sisters support me. Um, we've got a very close, loving family, which is the biggest blessing. And um, yeah, here, here, here we are now. So nothing but love and gratitude. Shout out to Zuby's parents. Shout out to your parents, man. Mm. Yeah, I need to get them on my podcast. Yes. I, I, I've been saying for a while I, I'm, I'm going to do it, but I want to do it like I want to record it live and, you know, like have like a proper camera set up mm. and, and do it. I don't want, I don't want to just like zoom yeah, it yeah, yeah um 
So yeah, I, I, I want to do that because uh, yeah, I think I think uh, that would interest a lot of people. Well, I mean, your family for one, uh, mm-hmm. your brothers, sisters, but also uh, your nieces, nephews, and your eventual children. So that's going to be huge. So you can just like drop them yeah. a podcast and be like, here, this is what this is grandma and grandma's life. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be super dope. All right. Yeah. I, have, uh, I have one last question for you. Um, so you are an incredibly opinionated uh, man on Twitter. <laughs> I think I'm saying that. I, I don't say that lightly. And <laughs> so... What is, uh, actually, it's probably the second last question, but what is like something that you've changed your mind on in the past five years? I feel like I changed my mind. I, I feel like I changed my mind in, in small ways every single mm. day. I'm trying to think of like something, something, something substantial. Mm. I, I think, man, I'll, I want to do something positive, but yeah. the, the most obvious thing is actually, is actually quite yeah, negative. Let's, let's go for it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think after the after the past couple of years, you know, the the whole pandemic response situation in many many different countries have whew, I think it's um darkened my mm. view on um on people, mm. unfortunately. Um because it's w- w- the the biggest lesson I learned I All right, this is this is this is kind of deep yeah. and dark. You know, as someone who who looks at history and has studied various events in history and things like that, I've you know we I think we, we all often do it and we, we you wonder how certain things happened, right? You wonder why like why why didn't anyone stop this? Like why did people just go along with this thing? Like why how did it get this far? Kind of thing, right? Like why why didn't someone speak up? Right? Why didn't stand someone stand up and stop this thing? Right? It could be you could be talking about slavery. You could be talking about, of course, you know, the Holocaust. You could be talking about the Holodomor. You could be talking about various genocides. You could be talking about also. Oh, there's even in the past hundred years, lot, lots and lots of bad things have happened. And you're like, man, why didn't anyone like stand up and say, yo, like this is wrong. Like like stop this thing. Um, why did it go on for so long? Why did so many people go on with it? Right? Um, why? How did like? Yeah, Hitler existing is one thing, but like, why did the Germans go with mm-hmm. it? Right? Like, German people aren't crazy. I've been to Germany many times. Like, lovely people, nice people, whatever. So, like, how could you do this? Like, why? Why did you do this? And um, I don't answer. I don't ask those questions anymore. Mm-hmm. I understand it psychologically. I understand it, and that's heavy. Um, so I don't know if that's like a mind change per mm-hmm. se, but it's made me like it's made it very clear to me that a most people are not evil or bad but they will they're not courageous enough to stand up to something that they know to be wrong and you can get people to go along with all types of absurdities it doesn't need to make sense it doesn't need to be good it doesn't need to be helpful it doesn't need to be right it could even harm people but with the right propaganda with the right messengers, with the right ways to control the communication or instill fear into people or to, you know, make people feel like their jobs are at risk or, you know, they've got something, something to lose by. You can, you can instill fear very quickly in a large percentage of the population. And it's not people being evil that make evil succeed. It's people being apathetic 
or even being somewhat cooperative with it and not taking a stand. Um, obviously, I'm not saying that what's happened in the past two years is anything close to the level of a genocide or, you know, some of the worst events that have happened in history, but from a psychological perspective and from a fear perspective and from a mass psychosis perspective, you can see how how these things can happen and how how quickly people can kind of fall into these these types of traps and you know turn family you know bro mm. i mean millions of people in the past 2 years lost relationships with friends and family because they didn't want to take a jab or because they didn't support mask mandates or they didn't support lockdown like I've heard so many horror stories, so much fallout of the past two years. There's couples that got divorced over a freaking injection, right? There, there's families that to this day, Dan, they haven't seen each other since the whole thing started because uh, of, of the, like, that's nuts. I mean, that's friends and family. If people are willing to, to, to do that, right? There's people who, who snitch, like in the height of the, all this mm. stuff, in the height of the lockdowns, you know, you know, there's people who snitched on their own spouse for going out and walking the dog. They called the police and said, Hey, my husband, my husband is violating the lockdown, man. Like these are the people who would have been the informers. <laughs> these are the, this, right? Like it, so it's that, that, that side is really dark. Um, so I, I think it's a shame that that's the thing that I, I, you know, I love human beings. I love humanity. Um, but that's just been like, there was a point where, you know, things are bright, but things are brighter now as we record mm -hmm. this. But I mean, if, if I rewind to one year ago and you remember the rhetoric that certain people were spitting out there and, you know, at like legitimately promoting discrimination and segregation or saying that people should be denied medical care if they don't do certain things or, you know, it got really, it got really, really nasty. Mm -hmm. It got really, really nasty. And, uh, that was very disheartening to me because I think despite already having my skepticisms, I, I had more faith in humanity than that. Mm. Um, and it, it really slid into, <sighs> yeah, I think that's the biggest thing that I learned is that humans have not changed at all. We've just got better technology. Um, and people might think we've learned from history, but when push comes to shove and you put fear, you instill fear in a population, then they start operating in a certain way. Stuff can get very tribal, very hostile, very quickly. People will turn on each other, including their loved ones. And that's disappointing. Yeah. But we're still, something I will say is that, uh, you know, we're still early as a, as a human race right now, very early yeah. where we are right now. So some things take time to develop. And one of the things that uh, I really respect about you, uh, we talked about the fact that you are opinionated, but one of the things that you are is honest. You are very raw. You are very honest, and uh, and you are actually doing this in the face of uh, you know possible sometimes like deplatforming at at some points, mm -hmm. depending on what you say on Twitter. But you have you know you basically have the confidence and yeah, exactly. You have <laughs> you basically have the balls to say it. And to say yeah. things that people are not willing to say. And that's something I, I, I freaking mm -hmm. respect about you. Now, to take this in another way, I want to ask you a final question, which is what kind of impact would you like to have on the world when it's all said and done? Mm -hmm. 
I want millions of people to be very sad when I die. Yeah. I, my, my goal from the beginning and the reason I even got into music and wanted to pursue it full time was because I wanted to make a positive impact on people. I wanted to use my words to inspire and motivate as many people as possible around the world. Um, I thought that I was just going to do that with my music when it, when it all started. And that's really, that, that, that's maintained my goal, um, with everything I do from my, my podcast, my public speaking, social media presence, of course, my music, my fitness stuff. I want to inspire, encourage, and motivate people through my words and actions. That's really what that's what drives me the most. Um, so I feel like it's my it's my ethical duty and my compulsion, and you know, like my my name means God's decision, and I don't take that lightly. Mm. I don't take that lightly. I think that I've been put on this world with a certain purpose. I've been given a certain personality and certain uh, very unique skill set that you know. I mean, I don't think anybody does what I do in the combination that I do. I could, you know, there's no one else who. You know, there's other people who do bits of it, but like the combination of stuff and then like having like this very unique background and all this stuff, I'm like, man, like there's, there's a reason for all that. So I can't squander it. I've done a lot. I've inspired, I've helped a lot of people, but there's so much more that I can do. And what better thing can I do with my life than help other people in different ways, whether that's helping them lose weight or it's making a song that makes them push out one more rep in the gym or to uplift them when they're feeling down or it's to teach them something or it's to entertain them or it's to make them laugh or it's to make them change their mind on a certain issue or think more critically whatever it is however I can do it that's that's simply what I'm about yeah. man that's simply what I'm about and um you know I could die tomorrow and I I'd, I'd be very happy with what I've achieved and what I've accomplished in that regard uh, you know, Lord willing, I've got many, many more decades to go and I'm excited, man. Like I'm so excited about where everything goes in the future. The sky's the limit. I don't think there is any limit. Um, I've got a lot of people on my side, got a lot of great people on my side and supporting me. I've got a wonderful family. Thank God. Um, I feel like, you know, I'm walking with God. God is with me and man, I, I'm always pumped. I'm always positive. I don't really, uh, I get tired sometimes, but not not for very long because I'm just like, it's just burning, man. Like it's been, it's been burning for over a decade, just like, I, yeah, man, like every day, you know, reach that many more people, you know, put in the work, do it. You'll have your ups and downs, but as long as things are trending in that right direction, I'm happy. And uh, I feel like you've done it while upholding your integrity and upholding the Absolutely, integrity man. of uh, the people that uh, follow you and listen to you. Yeah. Uh, so Zuby, uh, where can people find you and what are some of the next projects that you may be working on right now? Yeah, sure thing, man. Um, I'll announce one. I've gotten my first children's book coming out in yeah. July. It's called the candy calamity. It's a collaboration with brave books. So that's going to be out in July. So stay on the lookout for that. Of course, my a book for adults, uh, <laughs> strong advice, Zuby's guide to fitness for everybody is available on my website, teamzuby.com. You can also get my music and merchandise there. And you can find me on all social media at Zuby Music. That is Z-U-B-Y Music. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, all at the same handle, Zuby Music. Awesome. And uh, dude, this has been a pleasure. I, I've learned things about you that I didn't think that 
we're even you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, actually it's uh this has been one of like the most enjoyable conversations and, the, and it really does uh, speak to the kind of guy that you are uh i love the reps i love the the fact that you've actually been putting in the work and uh now the fruits of your labor are starting to come up and again i just think you're getting started right now i literally think you're just getting started so dude thank you bro yeah. i appreciate it man appreciate you. you all right thanks for dropping by brother If you're enjoying this podcast, please hit subscribe on whichever platform you're tuning in from. Help Dan and the rest of the team get the word out to more entrepreneurs like yourself and leave an honest review for the show. It would mean the world to us if you can help in those two ways. Dan reviews all the feedback on the show, so we can't wait to hear what you've got for us. This show is made for your benefit, so be sure to reach out if you have any ideas on topics that we can cover on the show or people we should interview. You're listening to the High Performance Founder Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time.